Hey there, welcome to the Pocket Contemplative. I'm Dave Smeltzer. As you may have heard or may be experiencing, it's a little steamy in Southern California today, so you might hear an uncharacteristic fan in the background. I can't swear one way or the other, but that might explain it. In any case, I have it in me to get overwhelmed on occasion from things other than just heat. At least for me, life throws an occasional but steady stream of curveballs, and I can quickly go to the worst-case scenario before taking a breath and getting down to whatever I need to be getting down to to solve the challenges in question. The contemplatives talk about this challenge, but my guess is none do so more encouragingly than Julian of Norwich, the 14th-century great who saw lots of overwhelming pain in her life, which I'll detail for you in a minute, but not least, she lived during the plague years in which half the population of England died, so that seems overwhelming. But despite all the chaos around her, or maybe partly because of it, she's left a legacy that has encouraged more people, I think, than any other great Christian teacher I can name. She's the favorite mystic of C.S. Lewis, for instance. Richard Rohr says the same thing. And I would guess this hopefulness is a good part of why that is. So today, after an encouraging, if mysterious, story along these lines from me, I'll walk you through a taste of what she's brought to the world. Maybe, as I've experienced, and C.S. Lewis and Richard Rohr have as well, it will cheer you up a bit. Before we get started, let me encourage you to check out our parent website at journey-on.net, where you can discover interesting materials like five-minute videos to teach you the basics we talk about here, along with offering you a look at live online small groups that people from all over are enjoying as they connect with new friends who also want to grow in the spirituality we talk about here. And on that note, you might want to check out our free four-week Get Started groups is a great way to, well, get started. You can let us know of your interest uh, on that site, journey-on.net. Okay, let's get going with Will Things Work Out? When my wife and I were dating, I tapped into some fears of hers, which sometimes made things rocky. After one of those times, I complained to God, and my best sense was that God encouraged me to stick with her a bit longer, but also notably, additionally, that God hadn't given me the power to screw up my own life, which seemed curious. But it turns out that that thought is at the heart of a famous big idea from, again, this ultra-encouraging 14th-century Englishwoman named Julian of Norwich. Again, she lived during the plague years, so she saw lots of death. People think she may well have seen the death of her own husband and children, though we can't say for sure. Nonetheless, she saw a lot of pain. Still, she writes, I believe sin, which for her, among other things, is the power to ruin your own life, has no substance, but can only be known through the pain it causes. This pain teaches us about ourselves, and that makes us rely on the God who says, nonetheless, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and absolutely everything shall be well. So this is a more complicated argument than it might first appear to be. How is it that absolutely everything will be well when pain, as Julian very much saw in her own life, isn't going anywhere? I mean, don't most of us regard the power to screw up our own life as the power to make choices that lead to more pain than we otherwise might have experienced? Isn't pain pretty much the whole thing we're trying to avoid? That said, this quote might be the most famous quote in the entire Christian contemplative tradition. Most famous one. My wife went to a conference where she was handed a tote bag and a mug which had this quote on it. So clearly, it's been pretty comforting to a whole lot of people for centuries. What we know about Julian, we get from her book, the first published by a woman in English in history, just to say. She wrote at the same time as Chaucer, for instance. Her book is called either Reflections of Divine Love or The Showings. I've been reading a translation called All Shall Be Well. There's many translations out there. She is called Julian of Norwich, not because she was named that at birth, but because she became this thing called an anchoress in this church 
St. Julian's in Norwich, England. An anchoress is a strange thing. I don't know if we have any parallels for it. It's a person who is walled in into this room that's adjacent to a church, part of a church, I suppose, you know, next to the walls of the church. And so it has a few windows in it. It has a window into the church itself, so the, the anchoress in question, Julian in this case, can participate in the church services. It has a window to the outside world. I'm sure that's nice for air. But also she was sort of the spiritual director or the counselor. She's kind of a psychologist, if you read her stuff, for sure, to anybody who would come by her window. She would be their spiritual director slash counselor. She had a famous disciple, by the way, named Marjorie Kemp, who herself has writings that have remained all these years. She was Julian's spiritual directee. And then there was also, I guess, a door where food could be brought into her uh, and waste could be taken out. I think she had a cat, we're told, because there were mice there. Anyway, she lived there her whole life once she committed to doing it. So, woman of prayer. And she entered it after she had this experience when she was, I think, around 30, where she had prayed for her own odd reasons to have a near-death experience. Maybe it's because she'd seen so much death around her, and she just felt like she needed to somehow participate in it in a way that Jesus did himself. Uh, obviously, Jesus did die, but anyway, she wanted something like that. So she had this very close-to-death experience, and as she was having it, she had 16 visions during that experience, and she spent the rest of her life unpacking what they meant. Now, you would think some random visions from this random woman in the 14th century, I mean, who really cares? What could it possibly teach us? Why has it lasted? Why are smart people like C.S. Lewis and Richard Rohr and others so into her talking about these visions she had when she had this near-death experience that somehow she seemed to have wanted or something? It seems kind of odd. And yet, I'll tell you, having spent a little bit of time with Julian, it's pretty comforting. It's pretty remarkable, and maybe I'll be able to persuade you of that. So she wrote a shorter version of her interpretations of these visions, and then over the next decade, she kept expanding on it. There's a longer version, again, which has been called since then, Reflections of Divine Love, or The Showings are the two ways talked about. So all that said, let me offer a few bullet points about things that are on Julian's mind, followed by what she says about those things. So again, this first bullet point is just my phrasing, but here we go. Think of God as a wave taking your pain somewhere good. Think of God as a wave, like a wave on the sea, taking your pain like a buoy. Your pain is a buoy, and the wave of God sweeps it somewhere good. Here's the quote from Julian that I'm working off of, and we'll chat about it. Sin is nothing. Again, talking about sin. All action is God, and sin is no action at all. God is all reality. Sin is the absence of reality. There is no doer but God. God is the only verb, the single action that moves through every human and earthly deep. So, Sin, ways we go wrong, ways we focus on, as we'll talk about with more discussions about Julian, uh, the bad parts of ourselves, which is just this void. All that sort of stuff is just kind of nothing. Um, but God is the actor. Things happen. God does stuff. So that's where I thought it is like she's saying, and part of why she's so encouraging, I think, is, well, maybe we've done stuff that have, stuff that's caused us pain we otherwise wouldn't have had to experience, or maybe we're just living life and pain happens because we're alive on planet Earth and things get overwhelming. We have some pain. She is not offering a way out of the pain per se, although she's very encouraging, as we keep saying. And so maybe you'll see how this is encouraging even so. So if our pain is like that buoy on the ocean bobbing, it's not going anywhere. But this wave, which is God's action, is always going somewhere good. And God is the actor. God's the verb. So that wave comes and takes the buoy, and it's going to go somewhere really nice. Um Anyway, I think that's one of the beginning points that she is uh, that's on her mind. A second point, do your best and it will work out fine. 
Do your best and it will work out fine. She writes this, whether we see God or only seek to see God, I believe we add to the divine essence when we simply fasten our minds and lives onto God. So some months back, you may have heard the podcast on this. Uh, I was talking in our online groups about another great Christian woman teacher from a little bit later than Julian, Teresa of Avila, another big name. They're both biggies in this tradition. And in talking about Teresa, who was very helpful to me, um, some people in our groups didn't like her all that much. She seemed sort of stern. One guy said, she seems like just one more person telling me something that I'm not living up to and that I can't live up to. If I had 11 lifetimes to try to get her advanced spirituality, maybe I'd get there. So there was a sense of feeling judged by Teresa. I do not feel that way. I'm not saying that. But that some people felt there's a sternness to her. The same people, when we talked about Julian, said, I like that one. You know, that one's great. Because what is she saying? Do your best, it'll work out fine. Whether we see God or only try to see God, I believe we add to God. So if, for Julian, our good intentions are really all that matter. If we're doing our best to find God, yeah, that's fine. You'll find God. Don't worry about it. And then God, like the verb, will sweep through you and take you somewhere good. Very comforting and kind of low bar in a way that people like Teresa of Avila can seem pretty high bar. Here's another thought from her. Don't take your emotions too seriously. Don't take your emotions too seriously. She, one of her showings, one of these visions she had, she sees her emotions almost like a, a graph going up and down and up and down and up and down and God speaks into it. So here's what she says. But the cycle continued. My emotions would sink and I would be overwhelmed with pain. And then once more joy and pleasure would lift me up. And then again, my mood would drop up and down, up and down. I must have ridden this emotional seesaw about 20 times. While I was filled with joy, I could have said with St. Paul, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And when I was overcome with emotional pain, I might just as easily have said with Peter when he tried to walk on water, protector, save me, I'm about to perish. As best as I can understand, the purpose of this vision was to show that our souls are driven forward by the emotional cycles we all experience. Sometimes we're comforted, and sometimes we feel we've been abandoned. God wants us to understand that our emotions are not reality. God keeps us equally safe in sadness and in happiness. So I've thought about that a ton since reading into Julian and realized it's true. I have a moodiness to me. I think I, nobody would see it on the outside, but on the inside, there's a moodiness to me. And I was thinking about Julian the other day thinking, oh, I feel overwhelmed or I feel discouraged or something. And then I thought, yeah, you know what? But God keeps me equally safe in sadness and in happiness. God, the, the verb of God, that wave of God is taking me good, whether I'm happy, sad, overwhelmed, joyful, connected, disconnected. God's still doing the same thing. God does not change. I just, very encouraging. Don't take your emotions too seriously, says Julia. Um, then see the world the way God sees the world. See the world the way God sees the world. Here's one of probably her most famous image. If her most famous quote is the all shall be well and all shall be well and absolutely everything will be well. Um, her most famous image is of a hazelnut being held in a big hand. And here's what she says about that. Then God showed me a small thing the size of a hazelnut nestled in the palm of my hand, Julian writes. It was round as a ball. I looked at it with the eyes of my understanding and thought, what can this be? And the answer came to me, it is all that is created. I was amazed that it could continue to exist. It seemed to me so little that it was on the verge of dissolving into nothingness. And then these words entered my understanding. It lasts, this hazelnut lasts, and will last forever because God loves it. Everything that, is, everything that is has its being through the love of God. 
Such a tiny object stood for all creation, she continues. I became aware, she says, that we should dismiss as nothing all that is created so that we can fully receive and adore our uncreated God. This is the reason why our hearts and souls are not at perfect ease, because we seek refuge in small things but can't find comfort there. We're looking for refuge in the hazelnut, but it's tiny. There's a much bigger world. So there's a lot of ways, I think, that I at least have found myself thinking about this hazelnut image. Uh, some, I think I'm on solid ground. I think everybody thinks about it this way, and some, maybe I'm speculating. But um, the here's the un, the un um, controversial way to think about the hazelnut. She is saying that we focus on the wrong thing. If in God's hand, everything that was ever created is the size of a hazelnut, the big story isn't the hazelnut. The big story is God. I think she is saying that. And that as we can feel overwhelmed, as I began talking about at the beginning of the podcast, things can be so overwhelming. It's like, to God, those things are small. You know, God's big, which is great. Obviously, that's an important point. Not entirely comforting to me in and of itself, but there's other ways of thinking about this hazelnut thing that are very comforting to me. So this one interpreter we were uh, that my wife and I have both been reading, Ellen Sanna, E-L-L-Y-N, Sanna, I will put it in the show notes, S-A-N-N-A, her translation called All Shall Be Well. She has these little prefaces to each of her many chapters and describing here's what she thinks about this chapter and also here's some translation thoughts she has, et cetera, very helpful. And she points out that the Big Bang is said to have come, the whole, the whole universe was said to be created from something about the size of Julian's hazelnut. And so she anticipates understanding of how the universe actually was created. If she's saying the whole universe is in the hazelnut, the scientists say, oh, totally. That's the whole universe was in that hazelnut and it went boom. And so in that sense, what we're encouraged to do is realize that everything working that's difficult in our lives, that's good in our lives, are kind of their own hazelnuts. There's all the potential of the entire created world in that thing. It's just all of God is invested in this thing which can't overwhelm us or bother us, et cetera. Uh, as I was thinking about this stuff, uh, my wife and I heard a New York Times podcast about a, um, I will put this in the show notes if this interests you as well, uh, about a man and wife who were pastoring a church through the pandemic. And um, it didn't go well for them. It ultimately drove them out of ministry. That The challenges of, of pastoring their way through the political divide that we have, the, pa the challenges of pastoring people through meeting in person and not meeting in person, they already had a relatively small church. And then the judgments they kept facing for people. No matter what they did, people got mad at them. If they decide not to meet, people are saying, why, how dare you not to meet? We're the body of Christ, you know, you coward. If they decide to meet, another group of people says, how dare you decide to meet? Don't you care about our safety? Um, and of course, the political divide was no win. And ultimately, with all the kind of judgment being heaped upon them, uh, the, the guy started to experience PTSD symptoms and went to like doctors to figure out what was going on and thought, my health can't take it. So they had to resign. They do resign. They discover they have no money. They have no job skills because other than the ones they've been using for decades of their lives, because that was what they were using for decades of their lives. But it doesn't pay that well. What are they going to do? And I think of the hazelnut here. So the, here's what they do do. I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you why I think the hazelnut thing is interesting in this setting. They moved to Puerto Rico because it was cheaper. They thought what little money they had would go further and they could lick their wounds and figure out what was next. So they do. While they're there, they suddenly get this idea that maybe they want to help out other pastors who are going through similar stresses, and they know a few, and they have networks that might lead to more. And so they think initially, well, let's find an apartment or a house that might have an extra room, and then we could take in that pastor if they could come to Puerto Rico, and we could you know, help them heal. But then they see something bigger. They see a whole retreat center property, big property, um, that is selling for you know money, like $500,000, I think they said. But they think, we don't have the money. 
But if we got that, we could have a whole center for pastors going through this thing. They did a camp with a denomination who was interested in what they had to offer and who was persuaded they could offer it. The denomination helped them fundraise to uh, buy the property. They've done it. Now it's a thriving retreat center. They have a whole new chapter opening in their lives. End of story. Hazelnuts. What if your troubles have all the potentials of the entire creation embedded in them? So those people who were so mean to our pastors we've just been describing, hazelnuts themselves, there's potential in their meanness, in the, in the things they're doing. Um, each other, they love each other. They're there for each other. They're, they're hazelnuts too. There's all the potential of God in one another and their relationship. Um, the Having no money, you know, that challenge, that trouble, or little money, um, that's a hazelnut. Like all the creative, there's, there's tremendous creative power from God in that difficulty. And all those things, if we stay still to the loving God who's cradling in the palm of his hands, that tiny hazelnut with all its troubles and all its challenges, oh my gosh, could, good things can happen. It can be full of possibility. Anyway, one take on the hazelnut story. Next, love will show us the way. Love will show us the way. Here, she reminds me of how Jonathan Edwards, the great American revivalist and theologian, and he stole this idea from St. Augustine, Edwards tells us that the Holy Spirit in his theology represents the crossfire of love between God the Father and God the Son. It's a crossfire we are invited to step right into. So it's, I've been in settings where people think, just imagine, you know, if you're, if you're trying to experience the Holy Spirit, it's like there's a crossfire of love between Jesus and God the Father, and you're right, it's, it's hitting you. Isn't that amazing? And I've been in plenty of spiritual settings where it seems like something really powerful spiritually is happening. It's charming to think, oh, it's the love of God the Father and God the Son kind of zapping right through a given person. Isn't that amazing? So that's Edwards. Julian, I don't think, has any of that in mind per se, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, is she on that track that once we experience what God's really doing, it's about love. She says this, the light God showed me in these visions is love. It's just enough light for us to live as we need. And in the end, everything will be love. Do you really want to clearly see God's meaning in these showings he's given me? Well, then learn it well. Love was God's meaning. Who showed me these visions? Love. What was I shown? Love. Why was I shown these visions? For love. And in love, we see God endlessly, world without end. So I will likely do another uh, podcast just on Julian. It's, she's got a vast kind of view of the world, and I just thought maybe we'll break it up. But uh, to foreshadow, she talks as almost every great Christian mystic talks, and many outside that tradition as well, that there's like God took up residence inside us at the moment consciousness and our bodies came together. God was there. So Teresa of Avila, as I talked about, talked about a seventh room, a seventh mansion inside all of us. It's the deepest mansion where God has always lived. Julian talks about how there's a fundamental happiness in us, whatever our challenging circumstances, because at the core, our true self is with God or is God or somehow in that very inner space. What, what that also means is that that inner space, there's fundamental love. The deepest part of ourselves is just thick, thick love. That is what we've been offered. So let's think back to my opening story about my wife and how God told me I couldn't screw up my own life, et cetera. How has that seeming promise worked out? Well, I am just want to say definitively, I'm entirely pleased I didn't drop her. I think she is pleased I didn't uh, that I didn't walk away as well. But of course, just living life, we've gone through plenty of pain. And um, per Julian, though, has God been the wave taking the buoy of my pain or our pain? Maybe I'll speak for myself, my pain 
a good place. The pain may be there, but boy, there's an active God taking me somewhere good. You know, yes, that does seem like a great picture of how things have gone and all my uncertainties. And I can feel them any given day. So they think, oh my gosh, there's something in my future that seems so uncertain. And that feels stressful or whatever. I can go there for sure. But again and again, there's that sense of the action of God is going to go someplace good. That uncertainty might remain or that difficulty or that hard circumstance. It might go, it might not go. But boy, the wave, the motion of my life is inexorably going towards someplace good. That has seemed true. Have I, as Julian asked me to, tried my best to seek God, whether I see him or only seek him, have I tried my best, and then like relaxed and seen what happens next? I think so. That seems accurate. I think that's, at least that's true of what I've done. Well, and yes, then what's come next again and again has been encouraging. That's a crazy view of life, isn't it? It can take at least me out of a worldview where I'm desperately trying to make all the right moves and it's going to leave me optimally happy and pain-free. And it puts me into a worldview where I do my best to stay with God and make whatever choices seem best at the time, and then with God, see what happens next. And if that leads to pain, so be it. Sometimes there's pain, but boy, the motion of God's going to take me someplace good. Um, again, remember that Julian may well have been a woman who lost her husband and children to the plague. So uh, she seems to have authority to speak here. It's really very encouraging. It takes the pressure off, doesn't it? And then Julian ends her, um, her reflections on the note she began on. Here's what she writes right towards the end of everything she writes. When the last day comes and we are all brought up from this world, then we shall see in God all the secrets that are now hidden. And not one of us is going to want to say, God, if only this or that. Instead, with one voice, we're going to say, be blessed, God, for all is as it is, and all is completely well. May it be for you and yours. We will talk again soon. 